Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. August. 1590, less than 10 miles off the Mideast coast of America, a bright full moon, the colour of bone, rises steadily into the sky. Down below, the towering hulks of two ships en route from England, the Hopewell and Moonlight, plough headlong through the waves as they edge ever closer to the northern ridge of the outer bank. A 200-mile stretch of barrier islands and spits located roughly 600 miles north of Florida. Between the bank and the mainland lay a body of water known as the Pamlico Sound, at the top of which was the ship's target destination, an island named Roanoke. On the Hopewell's deck, Governor John White, who has waited desperately for almost three years for this moment, strains his eyes in the darkening twilight for any sign of his people coming from the island. It was back in August 1587 that, due to a series of calamitous events, White had been forced to leave Roanoke and the colony of women, men and children he had been charged with establishing there. There had been 117 of them in total, his own daughter and granddaughter among them, and every day since leaving them, he had been consumed with despair, not only out of fear for their safety, but for his own future too, for all of it had been dependent on his successful return to the island. Now finally, he was on the brink of reuniting with them. It is hard to articulate the sheer sense of relief that washed over Governor White that early August evening, when, as he cast his eyes beyond the outer bank, he spotted the telltale sign of campfire smoke rising high above Roanoke's trees. How his legs threatened to give way from underneath him at the thought of what it might signify. That somehow they had managed to survive after all that time. 
The rest of those on board, however, were a little less enthused, for no doubt they had heard all the stories about just what exactly lurked beyond those distant trees. For most of them, who had only signed up to the trip for the chance to plunder treasure from Spanish merchants, they would sooner sail headlong into cannon fire than take one step onto that godforsaken continent. You're listening to Unexplained, and I'm Richard McLean Smith. It had all begun, as such things do, with an unbridled thirst for glory, followed by a magnificent overreach. On this occasion, it was Sir Humphrey Gilbert, English soldier and Member of Parliament, who, in 1583, with a fleet of six ships, set a course for the Americas. On August 5th, Gilbert landed at the port of St John in Newfoundland, Despite finding it populated by vessels from France, Portugal and Spain, not to mention already inhabited by a number of indigenous communities, he declared it, and all the land a thousand miles to the north and south of it, the property of England, by order of Queen Elizabeth I. However, due to their fast diminishing supplies, Gilbert and his cohorts were unable to form a settlement to officiate his declaration and were eventually forced to return to England. After getting caught up in a violent storm just off the coast of the Azores, Gilbert rejected the advice of his fellow sailors to evacuate his vessel. Hours later, his ship had sunk, taking Gilbert with it. The following year, Gilbert's half-brother, Walter Raleigh, a young courtier who had become a close confidant of Queen Elizabeth, decided to take up the mantle. Raleigh, who had captained one of the vessels on Gilbert's original trip, persuaded Elizabeth to transfer Gilbert's original agreement to him, entitling him to all lands he could settle in the New World and any subsequent riches discovered therein. Learning from his half-brother's mistakes, Raleigh realised it would be vital to first find a suitable location before making any attempt to settle a colony there And so, in 1584, two captains, Philip Amadas and Arthur Barlow, were sent on a reconnaissance mission to do just that. When Amadas and Barlow returned to England, Raleigh was surprised to find them accompanied by two Native Americans, named Manteo and Juan Cheese. As the captains would go on to explain, the men were both members of the Sikatan tribe, led by a man named Wingina with whom they had struck up a relationship shortly after reaching America. Having made it to the top of the Outer Bank on the East Coast, they had disembarked at an encouraging-looking island, where they were later met by members of the tribe, including its head chief's brother, Granganameo. The man had invited them to visit his home on an island they called Roanoke. The island, said Barlow and Amadas, was exactly what Raleigh was looking for. It isn't known under what circumstances exactly Manteo and Juan Cheese had been brought back to England, and quite what they would have made of London at the time is impossible to comprehend. Nonetheless, both were given living quarters in Raleigh's London home, while renowned scholar of the day, 
Thomas Harriet, was drafted in to help learn their language and teach them English in return. Though Harriet's intentions had been scholarly, hugely excited at the prospect of learning the Sikotan's native tongue, what Raleigh really wanted to know was whether the tribe would pose any threat to his colonial ambitions. As Harriet assured him soon after, there would only be one winner if it came to a fight between them and the English. Encouraged by Barlow and Amadas's findings, and with the opportunity for plundering Spanish vessels en route, Raleigh had little difficulty raising the finance to take the project to its next stage. All he needed to complete it were some colonists. John White had been scratching a living as an expert watercolourist when he first learned that Walter Raleigh, now Sir Walter, having been rewarded by the Queen for his imminent venture, was looking for an artist to help document his mission to the New World. Born some time in the 1540s, by 1584, White had endured the death of both his baby son and his wife, with his teenage daughter Eleanor having left the family home after recently becoming engaged. White saw little reason not to put himself forward for the trip. White had watched patiently as Raleigh perused his handiwork, admiring especially the realist images of Eskimos paddling through ice floes in kayaks. White had painted them on an earlier voyage he'd taken to the Arctic in 1577. Pleased with what he saw, Raleigh offered White the job. He would be joined by an army of roughly 60 soldiers, along with various construction workers and artisans, livestock, hunting dogs, and all other provisions necessary to sustain the colony until they could become self-sufficient. Thomas Harriet, Manteo and Juan Cheese would also be joining them. No women were to be taken on the first excursion. For leader of the expedition, Raleigh chose his cousin, Richard Grenville, though he had only ever sailed as far as France and had no experience in diplomacy whatsoever. He nonetheless had the requisite hatred of Spain that Raleigh considered essential for the job. After delivering the colonists to Roanoke Island, Grenville was to return straight home, leaving the group in the hands of career soldier, Master Ralph Lane. Master Lane was a particular favourite of Queen Elizabeth's, having been instrumental in the English crown's ongoing efforts to colonise Ireland. With everything ready to go, in the early hours of April 4th, 1585, four vessels laden with the first genuine attempt to establish an English colony in North America set sail for the New World. A few days later, three and a half thousand miles away, members of the Sikotan tribe gather around the dying embers of a village fire as dawn breaks above the surrounding treetops. Much discussion had been given to the strange men with whom they had communed so many moons ago, not least in wondering when, if ever, they might return. Friends and family of Manteo and Juan Cheese were especially anxious to see their sons and brothers again. As the rest of the villagers began to wake and prepare for the day ahead, 
it took a moment to realise that something wasn't quite right. The sky seemed darker than normal, and the dawn unusually slow to arrive. Then, one of the tribe gasped and pointed toward the horizon, at the strange sight of what appeared to be a bright white ring rising steadily into the sky. It was a total eclipse of the sun. As the tribe's leader, Wingina, gazed on, the message was loud and clear. Something ominous was heading their way. Roughly two new moons after Chief Wingina and his tribe witnessed the apparent portent of doom came the unsettling news that men, matching the description of those they had met one summer ago, had arrived at the Aquascokog settlement, another tribe of Sikotan not far from Wingina's people, and burned the entire village to the ground. Those men were now heading their way. When Master Lane and Richard Grenville finally arrived at the Sakotan village with 60 armed men in tow, it is clear that news of their arrival had preceded them. Before long, with the help of Manteo and Wanchis, it is quickly established that they mean the tribe no harm. However, when it is explained that Grenville had ordered the destruction of the Aquascocock settlement because he believed one of the savages, as he called them, had stolen a silver cup of his, it was clear to Wingina that theirs would be a complicated relationship. Manteo went on to explain that the men had come to establish a settlement of their own and were intent on using Roanoke as their base. After setting up a meeting with Wingina's brother, Guanganameo, the elders agreed not to stand in their way if they limited themselves to the north end of the island. With both parties seemingly relieved to have come to a diplomatic agreement, the English colonists promptly began unloading all their equipment and supplies onto the island. By the third week, they had constructed a fort, complete with gun emplacements, a church, storehouses, a series of thatched-roofed homes, as well as an armory and even a jail. By the end of August, the 107 settlers watched with no little apprehension as the last ship of their fleet weighed anchor and sailed off into the horizon. It wasn't long before their problems began to mount. Many of the more wealthy colonists had come merely to seek their fortune and had neither the skills nor the inclination to knuckle down with the rest. Having failed to include any alcohol with their provisions, was also having a serious effect on morale. Of more pressing concern, however, was their fast-depleting food store. On arrival in the New World, a ship carrying the majority of their provisions had run aground, destroying much of its cargo in the process. Then having made it to Roanoke much later than planned, there had been no chance to plant seeds in time for a harvest before winter. Their only hope was to convince Wingina to share some of his tribe's upcoming harvest with them until they could fully support themselves. Their predicament was not helped by the fact that soon after their arrival, hundreds of Sikatan died unexpectedly. Wingina had little doubt that the settlers were to blame. However, 
it wasn't a supernatural power as he'd suspected, but rather the smallpox and measles they'd brought with them from Europe. Thanks largely to Manteo's skills of diplomacy, Lane succeeded in convincing Wingener to help feed the colony. The tribe even go as far as constructing fishing traps for them, since the English so far had even struggled to catch any fish, and disaster was averted for the time being. Are you always taking care of your family? Do you often take care of others and not yourself? Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. You deserve it. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best, to feeling like yourself again. With Teladoc, you can speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video. Therapy appointments are available seven days a week from 7am to 9pm local time. If you feel overwhelmed sometimes, maybe you feel stressed or anxious, depressed or lonely, or you might be struggling with a personal or family issue, Teladoc can help. Teladoc is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy to change counsellors if needed, for free. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. Concerned that Wingina's patience was running out, Lane instructed John White and Thomas Harriet to travel deeper into the continent to create a map of what was still uncharted territory for them in the event they might need to resettle elsewhere. By the time White and Harriet returned a few months later, having struck up friendly relationships with a number of other tribes further up the coast, everything had changed. Fighting had broken out between a number of the colonists and the Sakotan at the south end of the island. Lane was also by now in no doubt that Wingina was planning to slaughter them all. In the spring of 1586, Lane takes to the waters with 40 men, and together they head north on the search for more tribes to form an alliance with. Back at the Sikotan village on the mainland, with weeks having passed, and Lane and his men yet to reappear, Chief Wingina, believing they had died, demands the tribe cut all contact with the English settlers. But when Lane and his men return some weeks later, tired and famished, but very much alive, Wingina's people are reluctant to put his plan into action. When they receive word that Lane had made contact with the Choanok, with plans to pit the two tribes against each other, it was clear they had little choice but to act. One morning, two of the colonists in charge of collecting fish from the Sikotan traps find that they have all been destroyed. When Lane demands to know what is going on, he is informed in no uncertain terms that the Sakotan will no longer be providing food for his people. Over the next few weeks, the colonists slowly begin to starve. A Captain Stafford is dispatched with 20 men to seek help from Manteo's home, a tribe of Sikotan located some 40 miles further down the outer bank, on another island named Croatoan. Others were sent to the mainland to forage whatever they could. But Lane 
knows it will not be enough. As his army steadily weakens, so too does his conviction grow that Wingina was about to attack them at any minute. It was just as the sun was disappearing below the horizon that a small group of Lane's men struck out and hijacked every Sokotan canoe on the island they could find. Only one was still out on the water. Realising they were under attack, its two occupants began paddling furiously toward the mainland. However, Lane's men were able to catch them before they could alert their compatriots there. From the banks of Roanoke, the remaining Sikotan watch as the English brought the two men back to the island and promptly cut off their heads. In response, the Sikotan turned immediately on the newcomers, but their weapons were no match for the firepower of the English soldiers and were soon sent scattering into the trees for shelter. Though Lane had managed to stop them from getting word to Wingina, it was now or never. When Lane arrived at Wingina's settlement later that night, along with 27 armed men and Manteo at his side, he informed the chieftain that they were merely passing through before heading on to Croatoan. Nonetheless, Wingina invited them in to rest for a while. The chief led Lane and the 27 men inside before taking a seat on the floor where he was surrounded by eight of his most trusted advisers. When Lane and his men showed little sign of joining him, he knew exactly why they had really come. At the cry of Christ, our victory, the English raised their muskets and fired a volley of shots into the circle of elders. Stopping for a moment to give Manteo the chance to rescue any of his friends, Lane then ordered a second volley of gunfire. Miraculously, Wingina having anticipated the attack, had managed to survive the first wave before getting shot in the back of the leg as he ran into the surrounding forest. He was swiftly followed by two of Lane's men, who did their best to keep up with him in their cumbersome armour as he darted lithely between the trees. Sometime later, as Lane surveyed the damage, the bleeding corpses of the tribe's elders strung out on the floor before him the two soldiers returned from out of the forest. Clutched in the hands of one of them was the severed head of Chieftain Wingina. It was the second week of June before Captain Stafford and his men arrived back at the English fort on Roanoke, completely exhausted and bearing unexpected news. Having set off back toward Roanoke some weeks before, his men had spotted ships approaching from out of the east. Fearing they might be Spanish vessels, there had been much rejoicing on discovering the English flags flying from their masts. The vast fleet, numbering 23 ships in total, had sailed up from the Caribbean under the guidance of Sir Francis Drake. Drake had originally been sent to rescue a fleet of English grain ships that were being held captive by the Spanish crown. After completing the task, however, he took the opportunity to head to the Caribbean in search of Spanish merchants and colonial towns to plunder. Whilst there, 
He had caught wind of the King of Spain's plot to locate the English settlement at Roanoke and have it destroyed. Drake had considered it his duty to come to their rescue. A few weeks later, with Drake's fleet having made it to the other end of the outer bank, Master Lane was rowed out to speak to them. Lane wasted no time in outlining the dire situation and requested supplies to last at least four months. Drake duly agreed, going even further by offering two captains and one of his ships named the Francis to help further secure the Roanoke settlement. With the Francis freshly loaded, Drake ordered its captain and crew to join Lane's group. But just as they were about to begin unloading the vessel, a violent storm ripped across the coast, scattering the Francis and a number of Drake's fleet back into the Atlantic. By the time the storm had abated, Lane and Drake realised that the Francis was nowhere to be seen, its crew having clearly not fancied its chances in the new world. With Drake only able to offer one other boat that was too cumbersome for navigating the shallows of the Pamlico Sound, and the additional supplies now gone, Lane realised their race was run. Calling all the colonists together, with a heavy heart, Lane gave them their choices. Either stay there as they were, and wait for the next supply ship to arrive, whenever that might be, or give up and return to England. The men didn't need asking twice. Before the month was out, the first English colony in America had packed up whatever possessions they had left and made their way onto one of the waiting ships. Terrified that he would be blamed for what the English had done, Manteo had little choice but to join them too. One Cheese had long since made his escape back to his tribe. To help make room for the new cargo, Drake is thought to have offloaded about 500 slaves taken from North and West Africa and South America. The individuals are said to have been simply deposited on the outer bank and left for dead. When Lane conducted a headcount of the colonists, it was discovered that three of them were missing. With the weather beginning to take another turn for the worst and the rest of the attempted settlers unwilling to spend another minute there, the decision was made to abandon them. Moments later, Drake's fleet, accompanied by Lane's failed colony, pulled up their sails and on catching the first winds available, powered on toward England. Three days later, another vessel approached the northern edge of the outer bank. The boat, captained by Richard Grenville, unbeknownst to Master Lane and the recently vacated colonists, had been sent by Walter Raleigh, packed with supplies to assist them. Having made his way to the fort on Roanoke, Grenville was devastated to find the place had been completely abandoned and smashed up beyond recognition. After mounting a quick search on the mainland, Grenville's men capture a Sikotan tribesman who, in broken English, explains that the colonists had been taken away by a large number of ships. Though relieved that the colony had not been murdered, Grenville is loath to give up on the settlement after Lane's men had occupied it for so long. 
choosing 15 men of his own and placing them under the order of a man named Master Coffin. Grenville demanded that they take up command of the Roanoke Fort immediately. The men were given enough supplies for two years, as well as four cannons and some muskets to defend themselves. And with that, Grenville was gone, and the Roanoke colony was reborn, for the moment at least. You've been listening to Part 1 of Unexplained, Season 4, Episode 13, Lost in Stormy Visions. Part 2 will be released next Friday, August 9th. If you enjoy listening to Unexplained and would like to help support us, you can now go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are massively appreciated. All elements of Unexplained are produced by me, Richard McLean Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplained. Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best. Speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video anytime between 7am to 9pm local time, seven days a week. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top ten for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now.